my bad. I think we played the wrong video, but it <laughs> happens to the best of us. Hey, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now uh, and go to Proverbs chapter 28. Uh, unlike the bumper video said, my name is not Connor Johnson. I'm sorry to disappoint. Although Connor uh, delivered a wonderful sermon last week uh, and is a blessing to our church as our middle school pastor and just one of, uh, just one of the best guys here. He's, he's, I love that guy. Um, and so tonight, unfortunately, you get me. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Brian Howard. I'm the teaching pastor here at Calvary. And um, man, here's what I've learned over the years. Um, in, t in teaching and studying the Bible, uh, and some of you have heard me say something like this before, uh, I've really learned when I read the Bible personally or, or when I teach through the Bible in a sermon that there's really two different ways of approaching it. Uh, and the way I like to describe the two different ways of either studying or preaching the Bible uh, is with two of the best foods there are. So the first would be uh, l like, uh, like a sermon that really treats the Bible like a burrito, okay? Uh, and so you, you think, oh, yeah, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone's like, free burritos. No, I got nothing for you. Um, <laughs> But, but listen, like, like, like a burrito, you think about a burrito, you, you sit down to eat a burrito because you're hungry, right? You, you don't sit down to eat a burrito. A burrito is not like a tasting type food. Uh, a burrito is a, you put the burrito in your mouth and you try to consume as much as possible. You don't reach in and grab a bean, you're like, best bean in the burrito right there, right? You just like, you don't, do, you don't operate that way with a burrito. You eat the burrito just to get it all in at once, and the point of the burritos is all the flavors blend together. And so there's a way of reading the Bible on your own. Where your goal is not to study every word and every line and every little sentence, but your goal is just to read the whole thing. So sometimes when I sit down, I'll read the entire book of Philippians. Or, or sometime this summer, I had an opportunity, I just sat down and read the whole book of John. And my goal wasn't like every single line, pick apart. It was just like get the whole thing all at once. And sometimes in sermons, what we do is we preach through long texts because what, what we're trying to get is the whole picture of what God wants to communicate to you through his word. So sometimes we study, and sometimes we do sermons like burritos. But there's also a different kind of food that helps me understand how to study the Bible. And that would be fine chocolate. Now, I'm not talking about the cheap chocolate we threw on your seats tonight. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not talking about, like, like, the stuff you just munch and you don't even think about. I'm talking about the stuff that you get, and it's kind of expensive, and you break off a little bit of it, and you put it in your mouth. You smell it, you taste it, you just kind of experience it, you let it melt, you kind of taste the aftertaste. Like there's a way of eating chocolate where you're just shoving it in your mouth, and there's a way where you're trying to really experience every little bit of it. And sometimes when I read the scriptures, like right now what I'm reading in the scriptures, I'm reading 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus for a little while here. I I'm just reading through slowly. If there's a word that's interesting to me, I'll just sit on it. I'll get through two verses in a day and just call it a day because I've just been meditating on that little bit. And the same goes for sermons. Like sometimes in sermons, we're going to go through these whole chapters of the Bible. But sometimes in sermons, what we're going to do is we're going to linger on a verse. And that's our plan tonight. This is our approach tonight. See, tonight we're going to look at a verse in the book of Proverbs. It's only in my English translation, 17 words long. And yet, here's what I believe. I believe if you take these 17 words serious, it could change your life. I believe if you take these 17 words serious... It could break you through the plateau you've been in for years. And, and I think for some of you, the fact that you do not take these 17 words serious, I'm going to say something bold on the authority of the word of God, is the reason you are not prospering in life. The reason you are not experiencing all that God has for you is because you will not take these words seriously. So let me read it all for you tonight. This is the only verse. This, this is the verse for tonight. So here it is. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's the 17 words. That's the one verse. That's what we're going to go through tonight. 
Now, I need to teach you how the Proverbs work, the book of Proverbs and how it works. See, the book of Proverbs is not a book where it says, if you do this, God does this. It's not a formula. It's God telling you how the world actually works. It's God looking at you saying, you are small, you are finite. Compared to me, you are foolish. So let me tell you how the world actually works. So let me be clear from the beginning. This is not saying if you don't confess your sins to God and tell others what you've done wrong, if you don't do that, a lightning bolt's going to hit you from the sky. God is not up here saying if you don't confess your sin, you're never going to make any money, you're going to be single, you're going to be sad, you're going to be lousy, and you might as well just give up. That is not what God is saying. What God is saying here in the Proverbs, and what we see all throughout the book of the Proverbs, is God trying to explain to us how he actually built the universe already. Like how the fabric of the universe works. Like let me put it this way. So with my kids the other day, uh, I told them we were going to go to their favorite place. I told them we're going to the park. They said, Daddy, which park? And I told them the duck park. Anyone know what I mean when I say the duck park here in Thousand Oaks? Thousand Oaks, off Jans. There's a duck park. They love the duck park. So here's what we did. It was late in the morning. I said, we're going to the duck park. But then we got to come back, do lunch. You're going down for nap. So we have one hour to go to the duck park. And, and so I tell them, okay, if we're going to go to the duck park, you need to put on your shoes. And get on your shoes, we'll get in the car, we'll go to the duck park. Do my children put on their shoes quickly at all? No. No, they wander around the house, they can't find their shoes, they can't decide on their shoes, and suddenly, they're taking forever to put on their shoes. And I'm trying to explain to them in their little brains, the hour is shrinking. Like, I need them to understand that the longer they take to get on their shoes, the less time they're going to have at the duck park. But they don't really understand that. See, they think however long it takes to put on my shoes, I'll still get that time at the duck park because they don't understand how the universe and time actually work. And that's what God is saying to you. God is saying this whole thing about confession isn't, well, if you don't confess to me and confess to others, I'm just going to bash you over the head. No, no, God's trying to say, I built the universe in such a way that confession is actually part of what it means for a human being to flourish. That you not concealing your sins and keeping secrets and holding everything in, but rather being open and sharing about your struggles and your sins and your failures is actually part of how God built the universe. And that's what he wants us to see. So we're going to look at this first part first. Verse 13, you can call it 13a here. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. So, so what we're reading here when we read this is that somehow God has built the universe in such a way that me concealing and keeping secrets and not telling people about my sin. When I say concealing it, I mean concealing it from God, which you can never really do, right? It's not like God's like, well, I can't peer into her heart because she said no. Like, he knows. But what's God talking about here? God's talking about this natural propensity you have to just keep things secret, to bottle them up, to not tell anyone, to just kind of have this part of your life that's public and this part of your life that no one ever sees and no one ever can see and you'd be humiliated if they did see. And here's what the proverb is telling us here. If we conceal it, we will not prosper. And I want to tell you five ways that's true. Let me give you five ways concealing your sin keeps you from prospering, keeps you from living the life that God designed you to live, that keeps you from enjoying all of the blessings God has for you. Number one, concealing your sin adds stress and anxiety to your life. Keeping secrets is so stressful. Like, like when you have a secret to keep, it is over. Think, think about when you do like a surprise party for your friends. That is so stressful, isn't it? You're like, okay, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to text them. Next time I see them, I'll look cool. But what does looking cool look? You know, it's just like a stressful thing to do when you're trying to keep a secret. It is so much more true when that secret is actually your sin. When that secret is actually a part of you that is in violation of God's holiness, in violation of God's law. And here's what I think has happened for some of us. 
what happens is we have this little area of our life that we don't want anyone to see, this little area of our life that we know is not walking in God's holiness. Like there's the Christian part of us that's out there and everyone sees and we tell everyone about, but then there's the pornography side of us. Then there's the getting drunk on the weekend side of us. Then there's the sleeping with your boyfriend side of us. Then there's the lying to your parents or stealing from your parents' side of us. Then there's the stealing from your employer's side of you. Like there's this public-facing part of you, but then there's this other segment that you're constantly playing defense to make sure no one ever finds out about. And that is part of the reason you're so stressed out all the time. Because when you feel like you have to defend a secret constantly, you never get to relax. You never get to speak truthfully. You're always on defense mode. And so if your boss called you Monday morning and said, I need to see you in my office. I found out about something you did last week, and we need to talk. You're like, what am I going to do, right? And if you have this whole secret world that you know could get you in trouble there, your anxiety goes through the roof. But if you don't have this secret world, at best it's a misunderstanding. At worst it's a misunderstanding. Or it's like this, like you're dating someone, and your boyfriend or girlfriend grabs your phone off the counter. If you've got a secret world that you are hiding from your boyfriend or girlfriend or eventually your husband and wife, you're terrified. Because what if they find something in your text messages, your internet search history, or in your social media? That's terrifying. But when you live in such a way that you've confessed it, you've said it, that stress goes away, it goes down. Because you're no longer playing defense. So what's the first way that secrets, that us concealing keeps us from prospering? It's that concealing sin adds stress and anxiety to your life. Number two, Concealing sin limits intimacy with others. You know what intimacy is? Intimacy is you have seen every single part of me and you still accept me. That's what marriage is supposed to be at its best. Like marriage at its best is you have seen every part of me. Like physically, spiritually, emotionally, every part of me. And you still want me. That's where intimacy grows. But intimacy cannot grow to the height that God wants it to if it's you've seen every part of me except the part I won't show you. Except the part I don't want you to see. Except the part I've tucked away in the corner over here to make sure you never see. If part of the reason you're struggling right now to be close with people, to have intimacy with people, and I don't mean physical, sexual intimacy. I mean a kind of intimacy where you are friends with someone, where you can love someone and they can love you back. It's because there's part of you that you don't want them to see. And anytime we are concealing part of ourselves from someone else, anytime we're hiding something over here in the corner, it, in, it interferes, it impedes with our ability to have friendship and intimacy. Number one, it adds to stress and anxiety in your life. Number two, it limits intimacy with others. Number three, concealing your sin diminishes your creativity. Now, I had never thought of this until a couple of weeks ago. We, we were, uh, Pastor Sarah, Pastor Brian, we were talking with Pastor Dick Thompson, who's our seasoned adults pastor. And he brought this up. He said, he said, Brian, like, it, it limits your creativity. And I actually, like, at first I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, tell me. He, he goes, here, let me explain. He goes, creativity is all about you generating something, presenting it to the world. And if you're a creative at all, whether it's art or music or, or video or anything in your life, you present it to the world. And you know what everyone gets to do? They get to judge and critique it. You are so vulnerable when you're being creative. When you're creative, when you do anything that creates value for the world, you open yourself up to vulnerability. But here's what happens. When we have unconfessed sin in our life, we don't want to be vulnerable because we don't want people to see through us. So what we do is we close off, and we're not as creative or as productive as God would have for us. And I think for some of you, like, like what's really holding you back in your life, holding you back in your career, holding you back in your relationships, holding you back in your calling and ministry that God has put on your life is this thing that you're concealing. And so you never want to be vulnerable. You never want people to see you for who you are because you haven't confessed, you've concealed. That number four is this, concealing your sins stirs your pride. 
It, it stirs your pride. And the scriptures say so clearly that, that God loves the humble, that God raises up those who will humble themselves. But when I'm concealing, what I'm actually saying is, it, it's not that important that I'm sinning. It's important that you don't think I am. And so what I've done is I've created this facade. And what's important for you to see is this facade uh, of a guy who never struggles or never sins or never has a bad day, that's always prayerful, that's always reading the Bible. Whenever I present this facade of I've got it all together and nothing's ever wrong, that's eventually going to start, start to become something I believe. See, that's the big problem with concealing. At some point, you have put up this projected image of yourself for so long that you actually start to believe it because it's easier to believe your lie than to face the actual truth. See, what I want for you is to confess in such a way that you're not concealing. So you don't have to pretend. You don't have to put up this facade anymore. And then finally, listen, concealing your sin denies reality. It denies reality. And here's something you need to know. Reality gets a, always gets a vote, and reality always eventually wins. So if you start to project your life in such a way where you don't sin and you don't struggle, and listen, this doesn't even have to be like you have some deep, dark sin that you don't tell people about. Some of you don't have a deep, dark sin. The problem for some of you is you have this attitude where you walk into church and people are asking you, how are you? And every single week it's, brother, I am great. Everything is good. I have the joy of the Lord. I am thriving. I am happy. You're just always good. And listen, there's a good thing. I don't ever want, I'm not trying to create a culture where everyone's like, the worst things ever happened to me, right? Like we don't need that in here. But here's what has to happen. At some point, you have to have the capacity to say, I'm not good. My prayer life has been terrible this week. I have not been walking in love in my relationships. I have not been walking in generosity and kindness and patience. I am done with my family. I am over my roommates. Like there has to be this ability to confess that you're not perfect. So here's what happens. When we set up this facade like everything's perfect and nothing's ever wrong and I never struggle with my spirituality and I never struggle with Jesus and I never struggle with the Bible, here's what happens. It's like reality. And I've described reality this way before. Reality is like a rubber band. And here's what we all know about rubber bands. You can stretch rubber bands a little bit, right? And it's the same with reality. So if you're having the most miserable week ever, but you decide to walk into church and someone asks, how was your week? And you go, oh, it was great. I worked for a little bit. And then people are like, no, no, but you're struggling. You're like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Hey, I heard something really tough happen. No, no, I don't need anyone's help. I'm good. I got this all on my own, right? What do we start to do? We start to stretch reality. And here's the scary thing. It works for a little bit. Like some of you can have us fooled for a while. Some of you might be able to have us fooled for years. But at some point, if you cannot acknowledge the reality that your life is not perfect, if at some point you cannot acknowledge the reality that there is sin and there is struggle and there is suffering in your life, if you cannot confess that there's actually things going on, eventually you will begin to stretch reality to a point where it is going to snap back and it is going to hurt you. And that's what's going to happen. Like I want you to know you can stretch reality. You can deny it. You can pretend for a little while. But no one gets to pretend forever. What does the proverb here want for you? What does God want for you? He's not saying if you conceal, God's just going to smash you on the head. No, he's saying, listen, God already knows. But if you put up this fake facade where you think you've got it all together and you're trying to convince everyone else of that, it's going to be a stress. It's going to be an anxiety. It's going to limit your intimacy. It's going to push you away from others, diminish your creativity, stir your pride, and eventually reality is going to snap back on you. So verse 13 says this. It says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So, so, so there's this like, don't confess, like, don't conceal. Stop doing the secret thing. 
Like some of you have this secret and it's just kind of like buried in your heart and no one else knows about it and you don't want anyone to know about it. And so it's your little thing and you never tell anyone about it. And this proverb is saying don't live that way. Now let me clarify. This proverb is not saying every single sin you have, tell every single person about it. Like that is an unwise and unhealthy way to go about life. (coughs) And so if you're struggling deeply with something, the worst thing for you to do might be to just go around telling every single person about it. And so if you're walking in here and struggling with, like, sexual sin, I don't want you to just walk up to any person and be like, hi, Brian, great to meet you, struggling deeply with this. You know, like, that's not your call. And yet, your call is to find the right people in your life who can help you and tell them. And my concern for so many, whether it's sexual sin or substances or lying or gossip or unforgiveness or or lack of faithfulness, like whatever that thing is that you need to confess, my concern for you is you've never told anyone. No one gets to know. No one finds out. So the closest people in your life don't actually know you. They know a fake you. And and what this proverb is calling us to do is not to conceal or keep these secrets, but rather to do two things. Notice it calls us not to one thing, but to two. It says to confess and to renounce. And so we're going to talk about those two words tonight, confess and renounce. We'll start with the word confession. So here's the problem with the word confession. Um, You and I live in America in the 21st century, and here's something I've learned along the way. The American media, Hollywood in particular, has no clue how to portray Christians who are not Catholics. Like every time you see a movie and there is a religious Christian of any kind, it's a Catholic. And here's the reason. There's no knock on Catholics. It's because they got the really recognizable collar, the architecture. If they showed this room, they'd be like, is this a TED Talk? Like, they wouldn't know, right? (laughs) And and so here's what happens. The media kind of shapes our imagination of these things. So when I say confession, when the scriptures say confession, this is the image that pops into some of your head. Like a booth. And there's a priest who goes in one, and you go in the other, and he slides, When, how long since your last confession? And then you start to talk to this person. And so when you hear confession, you think that. And here's what I want to say tonight. This is not what we are talking about. I am not a Catholic. I I do not believe in Catholic theology. I have family members and friends who are Catholic and believe deeply in the power of this. And I'm going to leave that to them. So I'm not here to bash this or say that's the worst or no way. I'm just saying tonight, when I say confess, this is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is two things. It is you, verbally and explicitly, acknowledging to the God of the universe that you are struggling with something. That you have sinned, that you are struggling, that you are tempted, that you are falling short. Acknowledging that to God and acknowledging it to other people. Those are the two things I'm talking about. Acknowledging to God what's already going on and telling another human being, I'm struggling, I'm sinning, I've stumbled, I've fallen, and I need your help. When we talk about confession, it's not this. It's simply you speaking out loud. Let me show you these two ways of saying it. Um, there's this wonderful passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which is like an important thing to say tonight. Like if you're hearing the sound of my voice tonight, online or in here, and your first thought is, well, I don't have any sins to confess. Here's what the Bible says about you. You have deceived yourself and you do not live in the truth. You have sin to confess. There is sin that lingers inside of each of us. And until Jesus comes and takes us home, there will be sin that we wrestle with until that side of glory. And so if you have convinced or deluded yourself that you don't have sin, I'm concerned for you. And here's what happens to a lot of people. There's kind of that one sin they struggled with when they were a teenager. So maybe it was sexual sin or maybe it was alcohol or maybe something like that. And sometimes you can find a real victory over that sin. But the danger is you think, I've conquered this one sin, therefore there's no real sin going on in my life. And the scriptures say, if we claim to be without sin, we're liars. 
But verse 19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So like, listen to me, if you're new here tonight, here's what I want you to know. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the central message of the Christian faith. You know how God loves you? God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's wild about you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you fall short. In fact, he knows that so much that he says, if you deny the fact that you have sinned against God, you're a liar. Like, God knows all of us are sinners. And yet it says if we confess our sins. Notice it doesn't say if we overcome our sins, if we get better from our sins, if we stop doing our sins. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, if you're here tonight and you're not sure what to do with God, here's the message of our God. Tell him your sins. Tell him you need him. He'll come save you tonight. That's why you're here tonight. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, know that there's a God in heaven who wants you to hear your confession of your sin. And he goes, because of that, I'll rescue you. Because of that, I'll save you. Because of that, I'll bring you into my family. If you want to be a liar and a self-deceiver and pretend that you've never fallen short of God's standards, much less your own, you go ahead and do that. But the God of the universe says, come to me. This is this beautiful passage. So listen, we'll say this tonight, confessing to God is a given. If you're going to follow after Jesus, if you're going to be someone who walks after Jesus and lives and loves like him, if you're going to be a Christian, confession is a given. It is a baseline. It is something you must do. If you're like, I have never confessed any sin to God ever, you are not a Christian. Christianity begins, salvation begins with a confession. I am a great sinner. I need a great savior. And Jesus goes, that's me. I'll rescue you. But here's where it gets even more interesting. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. So, so listen, this first one is confess your sins to God. But then it says confess your sins to one another. So we'll put it this way, that confessing sin to God, confessing to God is a given, but confessing to one another is a gift. What's the gift? That you might be healed. That you might be prospering. That you might experience all that God has for you in this world. That all of those things that I said, those five things I listed that not concealing your sin does to you, you would be healed from those. And, and so here it is. Confession to God is a given. Confession to one another is a gift. Now, in both of those verses I just read, the word confess uh, is the same Greek word, and I want to give you that Greek word here. Uh, the word confess is the Greek word homologeo. Homologeo. And homologeo is really two words pushed together. It is the word homo, which means same, and the word logeo, which means speech or word. It, it means to agree, to say the same thing, to speak the same thing. That, that is why we talk about when someone makes a confession of faith, what they are doing is they are speaking the same thing as the historic church has spoken. So when we say it is a confession of faith, someone makes a confession that they are a Christian, what they are confessing is with all of us, they're speaking the same. They're saying together that God is who he says he is and that Jesus has rescued us. That's what we speak the same as Christians. And so when we say to confess, here's a really simple way to think of confession. A really simple way to think of confession is this. To confess is to acknowledge reality. To acknowledge reality. When you confess to God and you confess to, to others, the entire purpose of this confession is that you acknowledge what is already true. If you are struggling with substances, if you are struggling with sex, if you are struggling with gossip, if you are struggling with hatred and anger and unforgiveness, on the other side, if you're struggling with prayerlessness or not listening to God's word, if you're struggling with a lack of desire for holiness or generosity, that's already true. And all you're doing when you're confessing is acknowledging reality. And why am I making such a big deal of this? Here's why. Acknowledging reality is always for your good. It is always for your good. 
And for so many of us, the pain we experience in life is because we will not acknowledge what's already true about our life. Like, there have been various moments where this has been true for me in my life, what I'm about to say, uh, and maybe for some of you. There are moments in life when you hit adulthood where you realize, I can't live and eat and exercise like I did when I was a teenager. Like, something happens to you when you become an adult where you're like, huh, I can't eat gummy bears for every meal and somehow feel good about myself. I've tried that diet. It doesn't work. And so what happens is you immediately realize, like, actually, if I'm going to grow up and be healthy and strong, I've got to eat these strange things called vegetables, right? And I've got to do this once in a while. And so here's what happens to me from time to time. I look at it and I go, I've not been taking care of my body. And in that moment, here's what I could do. I could deny it. I could pretend that's not the case. I could be like, no, I don't need to take care of my body. That's just the propaganda of the fitness industry, right? No, I, I can do that. You can play that game if you want. You'd be like, no, I don't need to take care of my body because my mom never did and my dad. And it's like, no, you have to. And what do I need to do? I just need to acknowledge reality. Or, or different metaphor. Like for some of you, um, you have a budget and you have clear financial goals and you know what you're doing. And for some of you, that is a laughable description because that's not you, Right. So, like, money comes in, you're not sure where it went. At the end of the month, you're like, let's see if this goes through, right? You're just swiping, like, the lucky swipe, like, all that, right? And, and, and here's what happens. At some point in your life, you wake up and you realize, like, I have to be an adult and take care of my finances. I can't just keep spending money like it's just always going to come in. I have to have a plan. I have to have a budget. So what's happened? You're acknowledging reality. All you're doing is acknowledging reality. And in every area of your life, when you acknowledge what is already true, it's always for your good. It's always for your flourishing. And so what's God calling us to do? He's not calling us to, like, make things up. He's just calling us to acknowledge, to confess, to say the same as reality. Let me give you three specific ways and practical ways this happens. Number one, we confess our sin. We confess our sin. Let me put it this way. When you confess your sin, and I, again, we talk about confession. We mean confessing to God, Right? and confessing to another human being. It can be a friend, it can be a small group. For me, one of the places I confess my sin uh, is in the context of a married couple small group I've been a part of for years. We'll just be in there and we'll just be like, hey, listen, our marriage struggled this week, we did not do great, here's where we've fallen down. We confess our sin in groups, we confess our sin to one another over a cup of coffee on a walk. Again, it's not a booth in a church, it's anywhere you are to another Christian. But what do we do? We wanna confess our sin. Can we put that up there on, on confessing your sin? Um, confess your sin, and, and again, to be really specific with your sin. I got drunk. I stole from my parents. I looked at pornography. But like so often when, when I'm talking with people about their sin, they want to say things like, well, I'm just kind of struggling with lust issues. Okay, that means nothing. What do we want to do? We want to be specific. We want to call it what it is. I looked at pornography. I got drunk. Some people are like, well, occasionally, may I have a drink or two too much? No, I got drunk. And, and you want to go real deep? It becomes, I got drunk because I didn't want to deal with my problems and issues. I didn't want to deal with what was actually going inside, so I just numbed it with this. That's real confession. Because if we're going to live in this sort of squishy area where we don't actually want to confess what's really going on, it loses its power. So to confess is to say it and say it specifically. But listen, we want to confess our sin. Second thing you want to do, you want to confess your desire to sin. Like, can we get real here? For some of you, it's this. God, I'm not sure I want to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I don't want it. I know it's wrong. I know it's sin. I know you've called me to reserve that for marriage. I know what it is. I know what the scriptures say. I know what I've been taught. And yet I don't know if I want to stop. I think I want to. And maybe I'm torn. And you're just confessing that desire within you. I enjoy gossiping about other people. And I know gossip is sin. Like literally the New Testament talks about gossip over and over and says don't do that. And yet it feels so good to us. And so we want to. I I'm not bothered by my vulgarity. 
my foul language, the things I say about women, the things I say about sex, how I try to impress people with my words and say things that should never come out of a child of God's mouth. And so here's what we do. We confess our desire. Now, is desire to sin the same thing as sin? Of course not. That's why it doesn't say sin. It's our desire to sin. But here's what I want to be able to confess to God and confess to other people. I want to confess to God and confess to other people that it's not just that I've sinned. It's that I kind of want to do it again. But I also kind of don't want to do it again. And so there's these two desires waging war within me. The scriptures call that the flesh and the spirit. Like the flesh and the spirit are waging war within me. So part of our confession isn't just here's what I've done. It's if I'm not careful, here's what I'll do again. So again, we confess our sin. We confess our desire to sin. And then here's the third thing I want us to confess. I want us to confess our lack. I want us to confess our lack of prayer. Like, do you know that prayerlessness is you saying to God, I know you'll listen to me and do things and help me, but I got this thing on my own. I won't end up talking to you. Like, that is a sin that we need to confess. We confess our prayerlessness. We confess our lack of trust in God's provision. We confess our lack of attention to God's word. Like, for the person in here who never reads the Bible, I think there needs to be some confession before the Lord of God. You've told me what you want to say, and I've plugged my ears. And I haven't listened. Confess your lack of generosity. Like, we talk about giving and generosity every single week in here. And yet, for some of you, there's just this, like, hands so tight around your money, you would never give it away. Confess that. Confess your lack of forgiveness. Like, listen, people are going to wound you, and they're going to hurt you. But God has said the only tool you have to heal the wounds of a past you cannot change is forgiveness. That's the only tool you have. And so God calls us to forgive. And what do we want to do? We want to confess our lack of care for the poor. I want to confess the times where I see something tragic on the news, and I go, oh, that stinks for them. And then I move along. Without any generosity, without any care, without any prayer, what do I want to do? I want to confess it. I want to confess it specifically. That's how we move forward. Listen, to confess is to acknowledge reality. It's like um, from time to time I do this. This is a classic husband move. Um, I'll wake up in the morning uh, and I'll start talking to my wife and she'll be like, I think you sound kind of sick. I'll be like, I'm definitely not sick, right? She's like, no, like your, your, your voice, it's scratchy, you're nasally. I'm like, it's just allergies. It's the wind today. It's the pressure. It's the heat. I think there's some dust in this house. We should get a maid. You know, like I just kind of do that, like deny, deny, deny. It's like three days later. It's just like snot coming out of my nose. I'm hacking up along. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm just I'm fine, right? What do I need to do? I just need to acknowledge reality. And what's reality? I'm sick. And what does that mean? I need to go see a doctor, get some medicine, take care of my body. So what do I do? To confess is to acknowledge reality. And listen, acknowledging reality is always for your good. It's always for your good. So what do we do? We confess our sin. We confess it to others. We confess it to God. But then remember verse 13. We'll go back there one more time. It says, whoever conceals their sins doesn't prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So again, we're going to confess our sins to God. We're going to confess to others. But then it also says we're going to renounce them, which is a different thing than confessing them. So let's put it this way. Let's define it. To renounce is to abandon an idea, a claim, a right, or a possession. So to to renounce something is to abandon that. So you hear about monarchs, like renouncing the throne, right? I'm not going to be the king, the queen, the prince. I'm not going to do that. You hear about people renouncing their citizenship. So I'm no longer a U.S. citizen or I'm no longer a British citizen. They renounce their citizenship. You hear people renouncing their faith, right? Isn't that interesting we use that word? We renounce the faith. So someone renounces Christian faith and walks away. To renounce is to abandon an idea, a claim, a right, or a possession. But one of the most important things for us to see tonight is this. That when it comes to renouncing, what we must be able to renounce are ideas. 
And there are ideas you have picked up along the way. There are ideas you learned as a kid that you didn't even know you learned as a kid. There are ideas you've learned from television and you've learned from your phone that you've learned from social media that you didn't even realize you learned. You didn't even know you picked it up. And yet these ideas take hold of you and they shape your world. Dallas Willard says it this way, there's no avoiding the fact that we live at the mercy of our ideas. And and so here's what I want to give you tonight. I want to give you seven ideas to renounce. Seven ideas that somehow have slipped into some of our minds that we need to renounce if we want to step into all that God has for us. Let me give you these seven. Number one, it's not hurting anyone, so it's not a big deal. It's not hurting anyone, so it's not a big deal. Let's just go straight to the heart of this one. I hear this one more often than anyone else from young men and young women who are hooked on pornography. And their claim is it's not hurting anyone, so why is it a big deal? So first things first. Let's just be really clear. Pornography hurts a lot of people. A lot of people. Like the pornography industry is not this harmless little thing where people just decide to go into it. There is abuse. There is slavery. There are all kinds of issues. But let's even pretend in some fantasy world it's not hurting the people on the other side of the screen. Can we be abundantly clear on who it is hurting? It's hurting you. It's hurting you. It is you poisoning yourself. It is you harming yourself. And that's not just true for pornography. It's true for all of sin. Like like sin is just this thing we put into ourselves and we think it's making us better. We think it's helping. We think it's actually going to be good for us, but it always hurts us. It always damages us. And somewhere along the line, we picked up this idea. If it's not hurting anyone else, it's not a big deal. And I want to call you to renounce that tonight. I want to call you to renounce the idea that it's okay to do anything as long as it's not hurting anyone else. That is not what the scriptures teach because it's hurting you and it's hurting your relationship with God. Number two, Nobody is ever going to find out, so it's fine. No one's ever going to find out, so it's fine. And again, let's just be clear on this. Whatever the sin is, whatever you're concealing, whatever it's inside of you, this idea, this fantasy that you're going to be able to do this until you die and no one's ever going to find out, is like it's been accomplished by exactly zero people in the history of the world. No one's ever actually done that. And you're like, but I'm different. I'm going to be the first person ever to have this entire secret life that no one ever finds out about. But the history of the entire world is people being found out. But again, let's pretend in your fantasy world no one ever finds out. Let's go to the actual reality. Again, it's still harming you. It's like this. Here's what happens to me. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll walk around our staff offices here at Calvary, and there's bowls of candy and snacks everywhere, okay? Candy and snacks everywhere. And I know, like, I don't need another Reese's peanut butter cup, okay? Like, I've had 14 today. And yet I'll walk through the offices, and I'll see them, and this weird thing happens. When there's, like, a bunch of people around, I'll walk past it. I'll be like, I don't need that trash, right? But then I'll walk through the offices when no one's here. I'll be like, no one's here right now, Right? but what am I doing in that? How silly is that? I'm like, well, no one's here, so like it won't harm me. No one's here, so the calories are free. Like that's not how this works. Even if no one ever finds out I took the peanut butter cup, which now it's on the video on the internet, right? But even if no one ever finds out, it's still hurting me. It's still affecting me. It still has an impact. That's what I want to say to you. Some of you bought into the idea that if it's just your little secret and no one ever finds out, then no one's harmed. And again, the person who becomes harmed It's you. It's you. Here's number three. No one's perfect. So I shouldn't feel bad. Or here's another version of that. I'm only human. I'm only human, so of course things like this are going to happen. And here's actually the truth. No one is perfect. No no one is perfect. And so, uh, of course, no one's ever going to find. Oh, we don't have the slides on the screen. Oh, well, whatever. All right. No one is perfect. 
And that's biblically true. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what happens is we're not perfect. And yet when we say, I'm not perfect, therefore I'll just walk in whatever sin I want, what happens is we show we don't really understand relationship. If you think I'm not perfect, therefore I'll do whatever I want, it shows we don't understand relationship. Like, let me put it to you this way. Um, imagine you have a friend, and please don't point if that friend's in the room, but imagine you have a friend who's really bad at texting back, okay? Again, don't point, but there's someone in the room who I'm sure is, you're pointing. Don't do that. Um, but imagine you have a friend who's really bad at texting back, and it's bad for years, and it's bad for years, and you finally confront them. You're like, listen, I text you all the time, and you are the worst texter backer in the history of texter backers. And I want you to imagine the person who never texts you back looks and goes, I'm only human. I'm not perfect. Would you accept that? Would you be like, no, that's totally cool. I get that you're human, so keep hurting me. Go for it. Right? You wouldn't do that. And here's the thing about our God. Our God is not an impersonal force up in heaven who you just kind of interact with on the basis of morality. He is a personal force who interacts with you personally. And so relationship with God isn't being like, well, I'm only human. I'm not perfect. It's you saying, God, no, I've stumbled and I've fallen, but I'm going to keep working on it. Because if you went to that same friend and said, hey, you never text me back, and they say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry, I'm actually trying to work on that, how can I make things right and better, that's how relationship actually works, and that's what our God actually does. So when I just kick around, oh, I'm just human, I'm not perfect, how could I ever be perfect? It's me showing I don't get that I actually have a relationship with the God of the universe. The next one is this, I'll only do it one more time and then never again. And can we all just acknowledge this has never worked in the history of ever? Like, can we all just acknowledge saying, like, I'm going to sin one more time, but then never again. It's like you being stranded on a desert island, dying of thirst, and being like, just one glass of salt water, and then no more, right? Just one glass, and then that'll satisfy me, and I should be good. Like, it only makes things worse. And yet some of us have picked up that idea. Like, I'll just do it one more time. I'll just go to one more party. I'll just do one more time. Her and I will just sleep together one more time. We'll just do one more time. And that is an idea we have to renounce. Here's the next one. Next one is, I don't want to be one of those old-fashioned Christians. And I just want to stand here and invite you to be an old-fashioned Christian who cares about holiness, who cares about justice, who cares about what God cares about. Like, I think sometimes what we do is we don't want to renounce our sin. We don't want to turn away from the sin in our life. We don't want to confess it because we don't want to sound like one of those old, kind of stodgy Christians who we don't want to be like. And so in order to do that, we actually walk in sin and we call it liberation. But it's not. When we walk in sin, we are not liberated from anything. We are enslaved to the ways of this world. We are enslaved to the devil. We are enslaved to our flesh. And what God calls us toward is freedom. And so again, I don't want to want to be like one of those old-fashioned Christians. No, no, no. We want to be exactly who God calls us to be. The next one is this. Um, here's an idea that some of you have internalized. I deserve this. I deserve this. When it comes to your sin, you can find yourself saying, I deserve this. And I want to just stand here and say this tonight really clearly, that you and I deserve nothing. God created everything. He has given it to us graciously, but we do not deserve it. And entitlement is a poison to your spiritual life. The moment you start to think that you are owed something by God, that God owes you one, is the moment you start slipping away from what God has for your life. And then finally, um, here's the thought some of you have internalized, especially if you grew up in church. And here's the thought. God's going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well keep doing it. God's going to forgive me anyway, so I might as well keep doing it. And, and here's what I want you to know. The beauty of the gospel is this. God will keep forgiving you. Over and over and over and over again, God will forgive you. And here's what I want you to know on the authority of the word of God, like I'm standing upon God's word to say this, that your sin will not cost you your salvation. Praise God, right? 
Like, praise God that whatever you do, however many times you sin, your salvation is locked. It's secured. It's guaranteed. There's nothing that can take it away. Your sin will not cost you your salvation, but I will stand on the word of God and tell you that your sin will rob you of your joy. It will rob you of your peace. Yes, God's going to forgive you, but you're going to be robbed of joy. You're going to be robbed of peace. You're going to be robbed of power. You're going to be robbed of purpose. When you walk in sin, God says your salvation is secure, but you're missing out on the fruit of salvation. You're missing out on the fruit of the Spirit. You're missing out on the good gifts that I have for you. It's like this. It's like I know, I know that when I sin, I know it's only going to make things worse. Verse 13, I want to go back to this and we'll close here and our band can make their way up. Remember this verse we've been looking at tonight. It says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so here's the simple invitation for you tonight. Maybe for some of you, you've been walking in secrets. You have an area of your life no one knows about. You have an area of your life you've been hiding. You've been keeping back here, and you're constantly playing defense to make sure no one knows about it. Can I urge you, before this weekend's over, before Monday morning, find someone somewhere that you trust and tell them about it. Say, I heard a sermon this weekend, it shook me to the core, I realized I've been hiding something, I need to say something out loud, and you share it, and you say it out loud, and you be specific, and you tell them, this is how I'm struggling, this is where I'm struggling, and I need you to pray for me, I need your help. Say it to God, say it to another person, and then maybe one of the things I've talked about that you need to renounce tonight, an idea you've internalized, you need to say, I no longer agree, I no longer affirm that, I'm walking away from the lie that I have internalized, that is leading me into continued patterns of sin in my life. What do we want to do? The scriptures say, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. What do we want to do tonight? We want to be a people who confess. We want to be a people who renounce. We want to be a people who say, I've been walking in sin, but no longer. God, I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to confess it to others. Why? You've heard this from me a million times. What you do not identify will only intensify. What you will not say out loud will only get worse in your life. And if you have a secret and you want to keep concealing it, you want to keep pushing it down and keeping it off in the corner, you can do it. It's just not going to get any better. If you hiding your secret worked, it would have overcome it already. But it hasn't. And so tonight I want to call you to confession. I want to call you to saying it out loud. Because here's the glory. Once you say it, you can start to solve it. Once you say it out loud... Now, by the power of the Spirit of God, you can start to find healing and prospering and life and joy and purpose. You can have what God has for you. Once you say it, you can start to solve it. And so here's the invitation for all of us in the room tonight. The invitation is to confess. And I don't know what your sin is. I just know the scriptures say, if you don't think you have sin, you're a liar. So that's all of us. And so I actually want to do an exercise tonight that I don't actually know that all of you will want to do but we're, we're going to. Um, all throughout my life, when I have stumbled in my sin at my lowest and darkest moments, uh, there's been one scripture that has been absolutely stunning to me. It, it is a scripture written by King David, who the scriptures say is a, God, a man after God's own heart. And, and the crazy thing about David's story is David messes up in the worst way possible. He's the king, and he decides to sleep with a woman who's not his wife, and he ends up getting the woman pregnant and so tries to deceive everyone by bringing the man back from battle to make it look like he slept with his wife and got her pregnant, but that didn't work. So he sent the man back into battle and intentionally pulled back the troops so that man would die. So he's an adulterer, he's a liar, he's a manipulator. He is a murderer. He is the worst of the worst. And then God calls him on it. And he recognizes this sin. 
And what's so beautiful about the story of David, and I think the reason we call him a man after God's own heart, isn't because he was perfect, he wasn't, but because he confessed. He didn't conceal, he didn't hide it in the corner. He said, I'm gonna confess and I'm gonna say it out loud. And you wanna know one of the most beautiful parts of the story? We have a written record of his confession. He didn't just think his confession or pray his confession. He wrote it down before God in the form of a song, in the form of Psalm chapter 51. And so, so here's how we're going to close our sermon tonight and go into our final songs here. Um, I want to give us all an opportunity to stand in this room in just a moment. And we are going to read Psalm 51 out loud as a confession of our sin before the Lord. And as everyone's hearing your voice tonight, it is a confession of sin before everyone else in this room. Let's break that seal. Let's do that right now. Let's be a people who say we're going to confess, and we're going to confess in the same words that David had. You're going to notice as you read this out loud, this isn't David saying, yeah, I guess once or more I've done something. No, he just goes right to the heart of his wickedness and sin, and yet he goes right to the heart of a merciful God who says, I want to forgive you, I want to love you, I want to save you, and I want to show you mercy. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in just a moment, I'll have everyone stand, and here's what I want to say. If you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not even sure what to do with God, you can just stand there and say nothing. I don't want to make a hypocrite of you or like force you to do anything you're not comfortable with. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that there's some confession you need to do tonight, I want to invite you to say the words of Psalm 51 out loud with me. It's going to be awkward. We're going to say it wrong sometimes. It's going to be great. It'll be a mess in this room. But that's what confession is. Confession isn't pretty. It's ugly and it's loud and it's tearful and it's snot-filled and it's wonderful. That's what confession is. So here's the invitation. Would you all stand to your feet with me right now? And do we have Psalm 51 for the screen? We do? Okay. So let's go ahead and put it on the screen. And you just read with me. And let this be our confession tonight. We'll read through Psalm 51. We'll pray. And then we'll sing to the Lord who meets us there. Would you read this with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, that is our prayer tonight. We know that our salvation is secure in you. And yet as we confess and repent, we ask that you would restore our joy. May the joy of this room, the joy of this church, the joy of our families, the joy of our lives overflow for as a result of this confession. So God, help us. 
to be a people who confess to you and confess to one another. And God, I pray that the mercy you promise in your scripture would be evident, not just in theory, but in reality among the hearts and the lives of the people in this room. So God, bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us as you give us peace. God, restore to us the joy of your salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said real loud,